I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Pretoria in South Africa is Professor Priscilla Sipati Makunyan, who heads up the Department of Ophthalmology in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria and Steve Biko Academic Hospital. Professor Makunyani joins us for our series on women in medicine. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Amalia. Prof. Makonyani, as head of ophthalmology, please, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do, as well as some of the responsibilities that come with holding this position? Yes, uh, as the head of department, my responsibilities include overseeing all ophthalmology units in the Steve Biko Academic Hospital and University of Pretoria Cluster. That, that means uh, overseeing uh, ophthalmology units in the following hospitals. It's, it's, uh, perhaps I don't need to give you the names, but there are about six. So these are, these are the hospitals uh, that form the cluster under Steve Biko. Steve Biko is an academic tertiary institution. Now, my responsibilities are really academic and clinical and to some extent in, even managerial. Now, this would include service delivery, uh, research output, teaching and training of both under and postgraduates, outreach. And uh, I also work alongside managers uh, in HR, uh, in the department that orders equipment, pharmacy, uh, you know, and many others in hiring and staffing, in coaching and training, you know, monitoring performance, planning, especially activities such as uh, glaucoma screening during the world, uh, glaucoma week, and uh, some activities in eye care uh, during the eye care awareness week, which is held in October. So these are some of my responsibilities. So I basically would make sure that we deliver a comprehensive medical and surgical care to our patients. And then I also oversee and develop patient management guidelines in our department. And obviously I report to our CEO. And then I have to also update my medical knowledge and ensure the optimal research output from our department, and also making sure that I foster relationships with uh, other medical disciplines. That is quite an extensive portfolio with a number of different functions spread across a mix from the academic space, as well as towards the clinical aspect, as well as the management, and the fact that you are also not just looking within one institution and one hospital, but going across to to six hospitals. Given Mm. the spectrum of your work, what would you say is your your greatest challenge in this position? Um, Yeah, staff shortages coupled with the existing posts being frozen, 
you know, shrinking or tight budgets at all levels. And uh, I mean, obviously this would, you know, have uh, serious repercussions on the quality of services one need to, uh, uh, need to render. And maintaining excellence becomes a great challenge. But as a manager, you know, in this position, one need to learn, needs to learn ways and means of accomplishing more with very limited resources. Yes. And with academic hospitals uh, like Steve Biko, for example, my understanding is that a lot of the patients that you see are non-paying patients. Yes, uh, this being a public uh, institution, uh, yes, uh, many of our patients would be retired, the poor uh, that uh, use the services, yes. So it's servicing not just from a point of view of, uh, let's say, developing talent and nurturing young people into their professions as doctors, but it's also about what happens in the public sphere and and providing a valuable public service. Absolutely, yeah. And also need to be training uh, specialists uh, in that that, uh, arena. You've mentioned some of the constraints that you experience. Looking forwards and and ahead, what types of milestones or or targets do you want to achieve? The milestones, you know, I aim at training 20 ophthalmologists in my tenure. I have so far trained about 12 in the past seven years. Uh, The other thing is that I've just completed my postgraduate diploma in public health. It was an online course that I decided to, you know, a two-year course that uh, I started in 2020 at the beginning of the the lockdown and the pandemic. And then uh, I also, I feel I owe myself a PhD. (laughs) I feel I need to do it. The other thing is, it's not just really uh, milestones that relate to me. I have uh, one of my consultants doing a PhD, uh, and I'm really happy that it's happening under my watch. And another one who has just successfully completed a fellowship in the orbital diseases and oculoplastics. It's, it's one of the subspecialties in ophthalmology. So that, that's what... Um, I am working on and uh, what I have done so far. Well, those are great targets to have in place, but also wonderful that you've already made a success and an inroad into achieving some of those goals. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're talking to Professor Priscilla Sipati Makunyani, who is head of the Department of Ophthalmology at the University of Pretoria and Steve Biko Academic Hospital. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof. Makunyani, you mentioned some of your research outputs as being one of the, let's say, KPIs within the, the position that you hold. We work in a connected society that stretches across different geographic borders. 
Can you tell us about some of the research that you're doing or collaborations that you're working with other counterparts in different countries on the continent? I have an interest in color vision generally. That's an area of my special interest. And one collaboration I've worked on and successfully so is with the City University in the United Kingdom which has been uh, instrumental in designing a novel method of uh, quantifying color vision deficiency. They work uh, more with in the occupational environment. And uh, I'm also a member of the International Color Group. So, so far, I've really just written a few pa papers on uh, the, you know, the importance of color in the workplaces that need that really need one to have good color vision. And also, um, I don't think I mentioned to you that uh, I also am a chairperson of um, the Aeromedical Committee of the South African Civil Aviation Authorities. So this is a committee appointed by the director of uh, SACAA, that's South African Civil Aviation Authorities, in collaboration with the University of Pretoria. So we are tasked with the responsibility of advising the director of the civil aviation on complex medical cases presented uh, in our monthly meeting to just ensure, you know, appropriate issuing and renewing of medical certificates for pilots, uh, cabin crew and other aviators. So in other words, we ensure that the privileges of the licenses applied, uh, you know, are not likely to jeopardize safety. So that also is an area of interest for me. So I'm, I'm involved in uh, putting together protocols and guidelines in ophthalmology as far as that is concerned. And the papers I've written uh, relate to that. But not only that, I've actually looked at color vision in patients, TB patients, on some drugs that can affect the eye and uh, color vision deficiency being one of the presenting signs thereof. So, you know, in our setting, not all TB patients will be brought to us for, uh, once they start these drugs for us to check their visual function, but color vision can be uh, picked up as one of the first signs uh, in toxicity. Of so color vision is, or deterioration of color vision is a side effect from the toxicity of the, the drugs. It's not an indicator of TB. Not so. Uh, so there are these drugs that uh, are used as the first line in the TB treatment that can cause, they actually cause what we call toxic optic neuropathy, that's the diseased optic nerve. But one of the first signs of that is color vision deficiency. Mm. Vision is so important. I mean, it's, it's one of our, our core senses. I yes. saw some research uh, published, or rather, let's say, statistics published from the World Health Organization, which indicates that globally there are at least 2.2 billion people. So that's approximately a third to a quarter of the global population who have near or distance vision impairments. In at least mm -hmm. 1 billion of those cases, vision impairment could have been prevented or has yet to be addressed. 
And obviously, vision impairment poses an enormous global financial burden, and they estimate annual global costs of productivity losses associated with vision impairment from uncorrected myopia and presbyopia alone is in the region of 244 billion US dollars and 25.4 billion dollars, respectively. Less developed countries are clearly impacted more than higher income regions. Please, can you share some insight into some of the conditions that you treat, which are typical to our region? Mm. Uh, Yeah, so just uh, before I get to that, you have mentioned um, problems such as myopia and presbyopia. These are refractive errors that uh, would require mainly optometrists to pick up early in life in order to uh, relieve uh, this uh, vision impairment in the sufferers. But uh, in our setting, in Steve Biko Academic Hospital, for instance, being a referral hospital, the types of conditions we come across would be complicated cataracts, glaucoma, um, thyroid eye disease, retinal detachments, all forms of eye cancers, especially one called the retinoblastoma, that's a tumor that is a cancer of the retina that affects two-year-olds. Very sad, really, really sad to see. So this some there is another one called keratoconus that leads to poor vision, deteriorating vision, especially in the young people who would have suffered for a while with uh, venal keratoconjunctivitis. It's an allergic conjunctivitis that leads uh, children to rub their eyes chronically and that weakens their cornea and they start losing vision. So many of them end up needing corneal transplants. So this is kind of... uh, the types of uh, conditions we see at tertiary level, but otherwise simple cataracts, allergies, um, you know, conditions of the lids, uh, those patients would be treated in our cluster hospital, our district hospitals. Then those that cannot be managed at district level are then referred to Steve Biko Academic Hospital. You mentioned some fairly complicated conditions, which is possibly out of a referral process that maybe people have got to you later than perhaps they they should have. Mm. And you also spoke about, I think it was the the retinal blastoma affecting two-year-olds. Are there any types of eye-related conditions that women are potentially more predisposed to than men? Mm. Um, you know, in on average, we'd say because women live longer than men, uh, so we see uh, a lot of age-related uh, conditions of the eye in many women, cataracts, age-related macular degeneration, and um, there's also we call it a dry eye, dry eye disease, DED. It's much more common in women because it's hormonally influenced. So 
And women are also more prone to developing autoimmune diseases such as SLE, that's uh, systemic lupus erythematosus, rheumatoid arthritis, and many others. So these tend to affect women also as well. You know, literally a week or so ago, we had a conversation with Dr. Kavita McCann from um, Vitz and Krishani Baragwanath Hospital. And Mm -hmm. she's a a rheumatologist and she spoke Mm -hmm. about some of these autoimmune conditions and the extreme hormonal link and which is why women are more affected by these conditions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And pregnancy too. You know, remember with pregnancy, they can get preeclampsia, that's very high blood, pre- blood pressure leading to damage of the optic nerve. And so, you know, so there, there is that too that we see. Mm. What should women be on the lookout for to, if, you know, to make an awareness of that they're experiencing something which is out of the ordinary that they should go and get checked up on? Mm. Well, really, that would be any form of pain in the eye, poor vision, any change in one's vision. It may be just blurring or or sudden loss of vision, uh, acute pain, itch, uh, or a feeling of pressure in the eye, um, you know, hollows around the lights. So all these would be, you know, just signs that or, or, or symptoms that uh, should alert them to stand up and do something about uh, their condition. Mm. Thanks for sharing some of the elements that you treat um, from an ophthalmologist uh, point of view and also sharing some of the insights uh, towards diseases that women may potentially be more predisposed to. Hi, this is Lyra, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. We're talking to Professor Priscilla Sipati Makunyani, who is head of the Department of Ophthalmology at the University of Pretoria and Steve Biko Academic Hospital. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof Makunyani, you are so involved in your field through multiple facets of different committees and different initiatives. What made you decide to specialize in ophthalmology? Well, my story starts when I was still in general practice. And I had this lovely patient who I've been treating, you know, and to do together with her family who was just experiencing deterioration in her vision and ultimately lost her vision. You know, as a general practitioner then, I realized that we were not really exposed to ophthalmology during our training. And I needed to refer her to an ophthalmology center in Chris, uh, Honey Baragwanath Hospital. 
And I still didn't really understand what was happening. So that was just the beginning of my curiosity and, and need to know more uh, as far as eyes were concerned. And it was just around the time that I was uh, looking around to get a specialty, you know, to specialize uh, in one of the fields of uh, medicine. So that's how I got to apply to do ophthalmology. In your experience, you've obviously run through your training as, as an individual and becoming a specialist, but now you're back in the academic space and training young professionals in the discipline. From your point of view, do you think enough is being done to make the field of medicine and indeed specializations like ophthalmology attractive disciplines for women to pursue? I must say um, now I, I really believe that uh, a lot of work is being done in our country. Uh, to encourage women to specialize, uh, especially in our in our university, I really take pride in how they encourage uh, us women uh, to take um, you know positions of uh, power and uh, leadership uh, in many sectors, and of course in 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 uh, medicine. Uh, so, yeah, I do believe, you know, compared to the time that I was training, um, there has been an improvement, a vast improvement in that uh, area. And what would you say the ratio of men to women is from a, an ophthalmologist's perspective? Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just looking at my own department right now, it's, I would say it's 50-50. However, in general, I mean, we still have many more men <laughs> okay. uh, in the field. They're much more than, than women. Yeah. So we still have a long way to go uh, for women to... Uh, to, to be more qualified in this uh, specialty. Mm -hmm. One of the learnings that we've had from our conversations with uh, various female doctors is that from a career point of view, you enter the space at the same time as, as men, but obviously men are not going off to have children. They are continuing mm. with their career path. But often women end up delaying having children or getting married because they're trying to finish with their studies, which is, is ongoing. How do you think we can better manage systems like that to ensure that women don't exit the system and still receive the right types of, of benefits to pursue their career to the highest level possible? Mm. Yeah, this is... A, an it, that is one challenge that uh, women, uh, even I had the same problem uh, in my, during my training that, you know, as a registrar that is still training, I was raising my two children who were, you know, three and five, and uh, it, it really was difficult. And uh, I see it with my registrars who would fall pregnant, and that means taking off for months. But uh, what I do and what many of our uh, departments in South Africa do is extend their registrar time uh, or their training time. So 
uh, after having taken the four months of uh, maternity leave, we add four months to their training time. But uh, that at least I think it helps them not to to want to push off some of the response their responsibilities, but to can be uh, able to do you know, to, 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 to fulfill both worlds, uh, if you like. Yeah. Whilst we're talking about training and education, can you expand for us, please, on how attaining your academic qualifications has impacted your life? And the reason that I ask this question is that sometimes younger people may be at a crossroads in their life where they're deciding should they study? Should they get a job? Uh, how important would an academic degree be in their future? Hmm. You know, um, I look at what I have been able to achieve being the second Black woman to qualify as an ophthalmologist in South Africa and the first Black woman to become an adjunct professor in ophthalmology in South Africa. For me, I, I really feel I'm fulfilling my purpose and destiny as a role model for young women. And uh, I believe I'm able to, you know, I, I'm fulfilling the need to be a servant leader also. And so uh, I believe and I know for a fact that, uh, you know, I have encouraged a number of women who never thought would ever, they would ever step into ophthalmology. And today they are specialists themselves. And uh, some are even pursuing fellowships in various subspecialities. So uh, really being a role model out there, and uh, that really satisfies me. Those are wonderful achievements. So congratulations for literally paving the way for the rest of women to walk in your shoes and walk on your shoulders. Thank you very much. Thinking about facets of success, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who have made tremendous achievements in their respective disciplines and the question really is about what do you think have been some of the factors that have helped contribute to your success? Some people speak about discipline, faith, hard work, a particular person, or even I'll, I'll never forget when we had uh, Rebecca Moloko on the show, she spoke about mm -hmm. the fear of failure. So mm -hmm. if you could please share with us, in your view, what have been some of the key drivers for your success? Mm. I, my, my faith, my faith in God. Uh, then uh, I also believe that uh, my life, uh, my gifts, talents are really not about me. Um, I need to be adding value to others. And uh, that's what drives me. You know, uh, to a point, I also had a terrible fear of failure, but uh, I've learned to really be gentle with myself, to really take care of myself, you know, to take care of me in order to 
um, take care of others. You cannot take care of others if you are not really um, gentle and caring to yourself. So my faith and the fact that my life is not about me, so I need to be adding value to others. You really echo sentiments of servant leadership in all of the things that you've said throughout our, our conversation today. So we've spoken about some of the factors that have contributed towards your success. Can you tell mm -hmm. us about a few pivotal moments that have shaped your life growing up, which have got you to the point that you're at today? Um, yeah, you know, as a child, I had, uh, I, I had really good parents. My father was a doctor. I just remember once, you know, at the age of eight, uh, he, he, he took me along to watch a post-mortem. <laughs> wow. How did you feel? <laughs> um, I guess uh, I probably was insisting on going with him then because uh, my father was a, well, he was a doctor, my mom was a nurse, and they were all working uh, in, his, in their practice, which was at home. So that's, uh, that is, I believe that has shaped me in many ways. And my first anatomy book, I think, was bought for me by my parents at age 11. So, yeah, so this is, yeah, I, I guess uh, I got that from my parents, really, my mom and uh, my dad in that way. <laughs> so you entered the family business? Yeah, in a way, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I think that that almost positive brainwashing is so important that you are being shaped without mm. really being conscious of it. And look where you are today. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yeah, which is so important. Mm. Given that our show is about celebrating women and reflecting on our achievements, uh, can you tell us about some of the women who have been key influencers or role models in your life? Okay, um, quite a number, but uh, my mother, you know, she had these attributes of softness, uh, a very quiet person, a very gentle but had inner strength. So um, I probably have taken, I have uh, acquired that from her in many ways, I believe, and I'm grateful for it um, because, um, it, you know, in a way, I feel that even, if, even though I am in this male-dominated um, environment, I don't feel the need to become aggressive or change who I am. Uh, I am a woman. I, I do have a gentle uh, 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 disposition, but I'm strong. I, I, I've, I, I embrace my strength and, uh, and I remain who I am. I'm comfortable in my own skin in that way. My, my spiritual mentor was a lady called uh, Jackie. So she, she's actually a priest. 
this lady really brought into sharp focus for me issues affecting women globally and the importance of hard work as a woman and embracing my womanhood, my inner strength. And she contributed immensely to my spiritual growth and uh, the value of selflessness, you know. Um, so I've learned a lot from her. Amazing. One other, the third one, you know, I look at my daughter. It's amazing. My daughter has multiple sclerosis, has epilepsy, has psoriasis. She struggles with the obesity. But I look at how she overcomes all this, you know, how she just rises up and she, she's, as we speak, uh, will be graduating next month with a master's in fine arts, all alone in America. She's in America. And, you know, I often just think of her and think, oh my goodness, uh, nothing is impossible. You know, as a mother, there was a time when I thought she wasn't going to make it. But there she is in remission and really going up the ladder with her films being uh, nominated in Canada for some awards that I still need to understand. I actually don't fully understand, but uh, she's really uh, just, you know, against all odds, um, pursuing her passion. Yeah. So those are the three I can think of. But uh, obviously, you know, we learn from one another as women, even the downtrodden, the poor, you learn from every woman that you come across. You see yourself in them and um, there is always something to learn from one another. That is such an important statement, the way that we see ourselves in other people, but also mm-hmm. the value and the contributions that every person makes to our lives, whether consciously or subconsciously, there's always some exchange that's imparted. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. Prof Makunyani, we are at the end of the show now. And as we close out the conversation, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of inspiration or motivation to young women who are listening to us on the continent today? Yes, what I would like to just leave, um, you know, just a message for every woman is to know thyself, understand who you are, understand your strengths and weaknesses, work on your weaknesses, live your truth, No one is going to set you free as a woman. We need to tap into uh, our inner strength and uh, set ourselves free. And we need to be gentle with ourselves, support one another, and always show empathy to one another. 
I guess if one, you know, if you understand yourself and know, uh, if you fully understand yourself, you will be able to understand someone else's struggles and uh, and whatever they are going through and have empathy. Okay, so, and to find your purpose as a woman. Once you find your purpose, then you, you understand the reason why you are on this planet. So that's what I'd like to leave with all the women out there. Thank you for that wonderful message that has so many elements to it. Uh, the one that really resonates with me is the aspect of care, care for oneself and care for others. It's mm -hmm. been a pleasure to host you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Dr. Amelia. Thank you. Enjoy yourself. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Priscilla Sipati Makunyani, who heads up the Department of Ophthalmology in the Faculty of Health Sciences, the University of Pretoria, and Steve Biko Academic Hospital. 